Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Illustration Department podcast. My name is Giuseppe Castellano. In this podcast, I talk to folks in illustration, graphic design, publishing, animation, and other creative fields about their beginnings, their successes, and the bumps and bruises they've experienced along the way. In this episode, my guest is illustrator David Edward Bird. Born in 1941, David has been illustrating for six decades, and it all started in 1968 at an upstart rock venue called the Fillmore East. Among other topics, we talk about how David went from not knowing how to illustrate posters to illustrating posters for the Woodstock Festival and a slew of rock legends. He gives us the not-so-glittery backstory behind some of the most popular Broadway posters of all time. And lastly, David shares advice on achieving longevity. I hope you enjoy our conversation. How was your Vanity Fair interview? Oh, well, they were just catching up because they did a, th- a blurb on me and they wanted to know some more information for something else. So, what was the? I gave it to them. What's the article about, or can you not say yet? I can't really say yet. Do you know when it'll release? Um, I can get you that info. All right. How are you holding up, considering everything? Yeah, everything. Well, yeah. I'm in the middle of uh, I'm in the middle of a thing for Disney Imagineering, mm-hmm. and uh, that's uh, for a new venue at the Florida Park, right. and. Uh, so that's been taking up a lot of my time. Plus, you know, I sell my posters online, so right. that also keeps me pretty busy. And I would imagine pretty distracted, focused. Yeah, yeah, uh, pretty distracted, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. Uh, no better time to be distracted than the present, I think. Just. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, maybe not in its entirety, but just, it's nice to have some mental breaks and get to work and do something for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I am enjoying this Imagineering job. It's, uh, I had done, um, a job for them for Disney Hong Kong. So, uh, I'm kind of familiar with this thing. And, uh, so it's been going pretty well. Yeah. You know, I have to admit that when I was preparing for this episode and doing a little bit of research, you know, typically I'll have a guest on and they'll have one specialty, you know, there'll be a children's book author and illustrator, or there'll be an animator, or there'll be, you know, an advertising person or, you know, and yeah. you, you are you seemingly three or four guests wrapped up in one. It was difficult to frame up the conversation because you've done so much, including Disney Imagineering. Yes. Yeah. I Yeah, I've done a lot of strange, different things. I, I just did whatever came my way. I never said no. <laughs> and uh, this career that you've had started way back in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Yes, I am from there yes from around there actually uh yeah cleveland which is about 30 miles away and is another uh name for bub fuck (laughs) 
What was it like? What was it like growing up there? Well, I didn't grow up there. I grew up in Miami Beach. When did you leave? So when did you leave Tennessee then? I was jerked off the farm when I was three. Okay. My mother ran away with me uh, to Miami Beach and got a divorce. So that's how that happened. How long were you in Miami Beach? Until I left to go to art school in 1960. Is this in New York? No, I went to Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh, which at that time was called Carnegie Institute of Technology. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I got my BFA and MFA from Carnegie. What did you study there? I studied uh, painting and uh, lithography, stone lithography. Okay. And I was a painting major, actually. Right. In the late 60s, you moved to New York. What exact, what yes, year was it exactly? Yeah. Do you remember? It was about 60, oh, uh, let's see. Gotta go back. 67. Where in New York? Was it in the city or outside of the city? It was in the city, and then we, we had a commune, actually. Uh, lived on a commune in Port Jervis, New York. It was a multimedia uh, commune, and I was the art director. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, we did big, uh, we did big, expensive uh, media shows, and we would do like one a month, and then we'd go back to the uh, commune in Port Jervis, right? And uh, and hang and get ready for the next one. So, David, we have a interesting connection, you and I. My father-in-law is from Port Jervis, New York. Really? Yeah. In fact, I'm about 20 minutes where I'm currently sitting from Port Jervis, New York. Really? Oh, God. God, I remember I had to take the bus into Manhattan when I wanted to go by myself. My father-in-law does remember. It wasn't, it was outside of Port Jervis, right? Was it near, was it closer to Sparrowbush? Well, you know, it was off the road into town. That's all I, I remember. <laughs> I also got arrested there uh, nice. by the Port Jervis police and mm-hmm. had to go before a judge and all that because I forgot to put my headlights on. <laughs> doing their doing their civic duty. Yeah, uh, doing their civic duty. Exactly. Um, you f- so around that same time, you went on a remarkable run of Broadway poster art and design. And speaking of the late 60s, you know, Woodstock was in 1969. And so the Woodstock Festival had to be one of your first clients? Actually, no, it was the Fillmore East. Okay. Which was started by Bill Graham, of course. Mm -hmm. I got a call at the commune in Port Jervis from Josh White, who was... Uh, became the Joshua Light Show. But Josh White and all the people who formed the Fillmore East, I went to art school with, so I knew everybody. And they didn't know any artists, so they called me up and asked me if I could do posters. Well, being a person who always said yes, I said, oh, yeah. I had no idea what a poster was, (laughs) and I just lied. So uh, they said, well, we need a poster for... 
it was something like oh, it was for the opening of Janice Joplin, right? in 1968 everything went well and i kept doing posters traffic uh jefferson airplane and then Jimi hendrix which that was 1968 so i got a call about doing a poster for woodstock though i didn't know what that was they were just trying to get the money at the time. John Roberts and his gang, and we kind of knew them. And of course, we weren't that far from Woodstock anyway. But by then, we had moved to uh, Manhattan and, and gotten a loft. So we were in Manhattan by that time. Right. But the first posters I did were on the commune. Is that what Yellow... And, what's Yellow Studio? And that was my business when I moved to Manhattan as an illustrator. And the reason I called it the Yellow Studio uh, was because there of a moment in, uh, in a film that I saw by Fellini uh, with Giulietta Messina, and she had this fabulous yellow bedroom, mm. and it just... That I don't know. It just made me want to live in the yellow studio. Right. My studio was never yellow. <laughs> I was just going to ask that question. Where Where was the studio in Manhattan? Uh, on Seventeenth Street, uh, off Fifth Avenue. Nice. It was pretty funky. In what way? Well, you got you know every now and again you would have a gun to your head, and that's well the way it was. Even in off Fifth Avenue, I gotta say, I got held up in my lobby twice. That was New York. Now my the loft that I paid six hundred dollars for for a month, yeah, five thousand square feet. It now uh, is at three million dollars. Oh my gosh! You mentioned Hendrix, Joplin, other clients included the Who, the Rolling Stones. Did you ever work with them directly? And if so, what was it like? Actually, the one I worked with directly was uh, uh, Jimi Hendrix. He really loved the poster I did. What was it for? For him at the Fillmore East. Okay. His debut. Yeah. May 10th, 1968. And after that, he called me, actually. And I went to a studio, and uh, we had quite a long chat. He's a very sweet man. And uh, he wanted me to do um, a piece for his 1969 tour. Mm -hmm. And actually, he said, the first thing I want is a uh, press kit cover. So I did a press kit cover, and then... He liked that, and then I went over, and then he invited me. He was building Electric Lady Studios. So he took me over there, and uh, they had just finished the sound room, and uh, he was very proud of it. It was beautiful. It was in the an old theater mm -hmm. on 8th Street, uh, and it became Electric Lady Studios. 
But anyway, he, uh, so we went into this. I was just C&I, and the studio was still under construction, but the sound booth was done. And then he took out a fat doobie, and we smoked that, and I got hellaciously high. And he put these huge earphones on my head, mm-hmm. and he played the entire Beatles' Sgt. Pepper album. Oh, my God. While we smoked this big doobie. Yeah, I'm surprised you remembered that. It's hard to forget. Yeah. You know. Wow. Anyway, he had his tour, uh, but he, then I didn't see him until I saw that he was passed. Did you attend a service of any kind? Uh, no, it was. Uh, it all happened, uh, I believe, uh, in England. Okay. Oh, that's right. Okay. So now I'm just going to segue into the Broadway shit. Well, hold on. Before we do that, let me ask you this quick question. Yeah. I, I think I already have the answer because, you know, you said that you never really said no. And doing the research on this, it 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 just appeared to me that if someone were living through the 60s into the 70s and they were into either or or and rock music or catching a play or enjoying a night at the opera or reading a book or looking at ads, chances were pretty good that they would see your work. And I suspect that's because you never said no to anything. Yeah. How were you finding such a wide range of clientele? What were you doing to get their attention? Well, uh, that's that's a very interesting question because the rock work really didn't get me much attention because it just wasn't what it became if you get my drift mm-hmm. it became this huge world but at that time it was just uh, sex, drugs and rock and roll and such. Right. Actually it was when this Broadway producer Hale Stoddard called me in 1969 I think she had seen one of my rock posters and she called me up and said she wanted me to do a poster for her show, um, uh, a show that she was producing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I said, oh, uh, great. I, I had never done anything for the theater at all, except for the musical, the uh, rock theater, actually. Mm-hmm. So I said, uh, sure. And... Um, you know, so she sent me a script and all that stuff, and I read it. It was a drama, and it was about the dissolution of a, a biracial marriage. You know, all of the trauma that is involved in that, and it starred George Grizzard and, uh, oh, the woman died shortly after. She was a great black actress, and uh, my mind isn't always... I don't really grab some of these old names. Mm-hmm. So I thought, God, this is pretty heavy. And so I did a have an illustration that was just like the play. And she said, oh, no, 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 no. We want it to look like a rock poster. That's why we're hiring you. <laughs> I mean, I was kind of shocked. Why would you want it to look like a rock poster? I thought it should look like what the clients were getting 
But uh, on the other hand, I, it was my first Broadway show, and it was printed. What was the name of the show? You know, I'm uh, just blanking out right now. That's but right. anyway, it'll come to me in the, uh, right as we finish. That's right. <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, so uh, it was just so long ago. Right. Anyway, I, I did that show, uh, and it was by a, a playwright who became pretty famous himself. So I did that show, and then suddenly I started getting shows, and I did uh, a bunch of, of of shows just for you know I did everything for a hundred dollars. I was the you went to me and you got a poster for a hundred dollars. Anyway, what did a hundred dollars get you uh, in the seventies? A hundred dollars in uh, you know nineteen sixty nine. Was a lot of money, mm-hmm. you know. It would keep me in beer <laughs> for a month, you know. Yeah, yeah. And you worked on Follies. You worked on Godspell. A little later on, you did Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. I got a call from Roger Puckett, who owned the Triton Gallery on West Forty Fifth Street in New York, and it was an international. Um, theater poster gallery that's all they sold and you know they sold theater posters from uh, you know 1915 as well as from uh 1969 right so anyway uh he told me that he had heard on the grapevine that uh that harold prince who was a producer uh, i i didn't even know of i didn't know anything about broadway he was doing a show uh, called Follies, and my friend uh, thought I'd be great for it. So he called over to Blaine Thompson, that was the agency for uh, Hal Prince's shows. And uh, Hal Prince had done Company and uh, Cabaret and much other. You know, he was pretty famous. Yeah. So he was doing this show called Follies by a guy named Stephen Sondheim. I didn't know who Stephen Sondheim was. All they had was a picture of, they couldn't send me a script. Oh, number one, I couldn't do it because they said they had already paid everybody. They paid 14 artists to do comps, and that was their budget. So then I said, what if I do it for nothing? I mean, what did I have to lose? So they said, oh, we love that. So I, I sent over a tiny sketch. And my God, they chose it. I mean, I was totally shocked. Was the final, did the final look like the sketch or were there changes? No, no, not at all. They fucked with it. <laughs> they totally fucked with it. I mean, they really did. And uh, I did a sketch of a woman at the top of a stairs that was a part of a wrecked theater mm-hmm. and it said follies and she was in a big peacock gown and very deco mm-hmm. and they loved my concept but they said uh she uh, she looks like a dyke so we need her to be in a red dress with big cleavage big blonde hair uh, down to her waist and um, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, Jesus, they've ruined it. 
They have destroyed it. This is a, like a 1950s babe in, yeah. in what is supposed to be beginning of the 40s play. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, this is horrible. I'm going to be laughed off the street. So I did their thing, which I, I still have a copy of. Mm-hmm. I did their idea, and I made her look like a Tootsie. I said, I got to do I got to do something else. So maybe they'll not even pay attention to this mm-hmm. horror. Mm-hmm. So I did the one that you know. I, I did it like in two hours. And you know, they never mentioned the horrible redo again. Harold Prince called me up and he said, this is the greatest poster I've ever, uh, Broadway poster I've ever seen. So I said, oh my God, I did something right. So that's the story on that. What was the medium? Uh, anything I could find, actually. <laughs> I mean, in that... Well, because you spend all your money on beer, you you know, you had to sort of yeah, scrounge for Yeah, I was spending supplies. too much money on beer. You're right. <laughs> well, I it was watercolor and ink and, uh, and board, right. pretty much. And I used it. I didn't. Uh, I wanted a, a, an airbrushed kind of gradation, but in I didn't have an airbrush. But I had these things, um, which were uh, in those days we had spray magic markers, and I used that as the airbrush te- technique. And and then everybody just loved it, and that really helped me a lot. Because then I got a call from Edgar Lansbury, uh, who uh, was doing this show about Jesus called Godspell. Yeah. So I went to see him uh, in his office, which was in the building that the Winter Garden Theater was in. And uh, so I went up to his office and he said, come here, look out my window, stick your head out and look to the left. And I did that. And there was a huge Follies poster on the marquee <laughs> of the Wonder Garden Theater. Oh, I know where this is going. I want that, but Jesus. Did he know that was your poster? Oh, of course. Okay. That's why he called me. What were you thinking? Oh, fuck. It's Son of Follies. That was my first thought. What was your second thought? How much? Yes, my second thought was, how much? And he said, well, all I've got is $100. I said, listen, listen, Edgar, uh, <laughs> if I do this uh, for $100, will he, and the thing runs, will you give me $50 a week as long as it runs? And he said, sure. How long did it run? Eight years. Oh, that was a good call. I didn't care if I did it. I really didn't care. I mean, he could have said no, and I would have just walked out. I was not prepared to do that right. $100 thing anymore. Because mm-hmm. uh, I got $500 for Follies. And that made me buy a lot more beer. <laughs> we could We could sit in Broadway for the next hour but I kind of want to fly across country to Los Angeles when Uh, you went to LA in 1980. So basically I'm fast forward. I'm I'm essentially skipping, you know, 10 years of your career. I apologize for that. That's skippable. 
<laughs> but you know, you went to LA in 1980 to work on Van Halen's world tour. Yeah, yes, that's but, right. But then you stayed there. What kept you in LA? I was recovering from the tour, and then I I met uh, my life partner, and we've been together 40 years. Wow. So that's how I didn't go back. Yeah. I just stayed. Right. Where in L.A.? Well, I, uh, I'm in Silver Lake, which is uh, not far from downtown. It's right. kind of a arty area. Mm-hmm. You know, that's... I don't know. I just fell into whatever happened, and then it turned. Some of it turned out nice. Right. Based on the amount of work and the caliber of clientele through the mid '80s, other illustrators would have called it a career. But you had your third, or possibly fourth, third and fourth and fifth careers. You became an art director for the Advocate which is a, yes. I don't know, was a national gay news magazine. You worked yes. as a senior illustrator for Warner Brothers. You illustrated yes. the, the United States Postal Service stamp of Bugs Bunny, which, by the way, was the first stamp that showed a cartoon character. I mean, the amount of, again, the amount of work I'm leaving out could make up two or three more careers, two or three more podcast episodes. What was the reasoning behind pursuing so many different creative endeavors? Was it simply talent slash timing slash financial need? I mean, was there a philosophy behind it all? Or was it just, like you said, falling into you know, certain situations? Truthfully, um, I had some, I, I had some uh, major uh, drug episodes okay that uh caused me to ride a roller coaster so there were times that i uh i just had to do something to eat and one of those times was uh the advocate i being gay i uh, i just applied for their they wanted a, an art director and i applied for it and then they hired me in a minute and then I, uh, what they wanted me to do was change it from a tabloid, uh, uh, newsprint tabloid, mm-hmm. tabloid size, to a, uh, a standard magazine, a, right. about eight and a half by 11 size. And it took me three years to do that, so I did that. And then I, uh, I got a call from a friend who had just taken a job at Warner Brothers and he said, I think they're looking for you. And I I went for an interview and they hired me on the spot. And then I became the illustrator for um, consumer products. So and I did t-shirts, dial mugs, guide. that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I did everything that actually that we started with the um, there was there were no style guides. There was no style guides, uh, there were no character drawings, there was nothing. We had to start from scratch because uh, uh, Disney had been doing this for years. Mm-hmm. Warner Brothers never took advantage of their uh, uh, termite guys, you know? They just didn't. Right. 
So we had we had to start from scratch and create all the recreate all the characters, and uh, it was my art, true art education. Let me tell you, babe, when you have to draw your ass off every day, uh, you learn something. And when we're you're with all of these incredibly talented guys and gals who are influencing you and helping you and working with you. It's amazing. I just, it was like, it was my art school. That's all I can say. Speaking of influence throughout the years, and I don't mean to say it in a way that to make you feel old or anything, but over the years, who were some of your influences? Did you have influences? Well, I, I, in New York, I, I became part of illustration. I became a member of the Society of Illustrators, you know, all that yeah. stuff you do. Right. I had an agent, an illustration agent. Yeah. You know, I got to know lots of people in the illustration business. Like who? Richard Amzell was an illustrator who became my best friend in New York. And he was uh, very famous for his movie posters. And he died early on. He died in 85 of AIDS. We were very close and, and we were, uh, he was, he was much more talented than I am. And he was just amazing. And he was like a savant. Yeah. He just kept me on my toes, as it were. Right. Then there were all these other guys, uh, you know, Pushpin Studios was a big influence. Yeah. Um, Seymour Quas was on the podcast a few months back. Oh, was he? Bless his heart. He, he's a great man. You know, I went, one of the first things I did was go to Pushpin with my art school portfolio. And I had done uh, my first uh, Filmer East poster. Mm -hmm. So I had that in there too. And Pushpin was around at that point for about 15 or so, 14, 15 years. And, and there was lots of Barry Zaid, all these great people there that I admired. And I went to see um, Milton Glaser, and he said, well, keep up with the fine art drawing and don't do this stuff, pointing to the rock poster. So I said... Oh, okay. Thank you for your time. And I left and I thought, well, that's easy to say. Don't do this. Well, I did. I didn't stop. I just kept doing it. Right. Had you stopped, uh, had you stopped, it would have been a different career track. Yeah. I I would have had a different life, but Hey, when you're trying to eat and, and buy more beer, you gotta do something. Something tells me that you probably, I don't know, I have a sneaking suspicion that you don't really drink a whole lot of beer. <laughs> no, I don't drink at all anymore, but I did during my day. Gotcha. I sort of stopped drinking in about uh, when I came out here, actually, after the Van Halens who were, uh, you know, uh, Alex... Ben Halen said to me, I don't drink water because fish fuck in it. And that's, a, you know, a line from W.C. Fields. But uh, I thought, well, I wonder if he knows about W.C. Fields, which he didn't. 
you know, they were big drinkers. And uh, by the time we were done with that, I had a like a year long hangover. <laughs> and then I just quit. The, the rock scene? Uh, no, uh, drinking, drinking. Yeah. alcohol. <laughs> so now I just uh, adore marijuana still, but hey. Who doesn't? It's finally legal. Hooray. When I was talking to Seymour Quast, we talked about some illustrators in both editorial and children's books who yeah. changed their names because they were, quote, very Jewish. Ezra Jack Keats is one example. Ed Sorrell was the other, suggesting that there was a sort of anti-Jewish bias in that art world. But as a, I never, you know, they can't tell you're a homo by your name, so I, I didn't think about that. And it was never an issue? With oh, art. often, but sometimes after the fact, and then uh, basically in the theater, no, and, and rock was seemed very straightish to me, but... So uh, there were a few gay guys at at, uh, at the Fillmore East, <clears throat> but they were kind of in the closet anyway. Right. Uh, a lot of people were in the closet in those days, and I was never really uh, because I I couldn't pull it off. I was just, you know, I was just too gay, and yeah. you know, if there's such a thing, right. but that's was my take on it. Right. You've worked in 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, zeros, tens. So essentially, you've been working for six decades. I really, God, something like that. Six decades, Jesus. But so you never thought of it. What What year were you born? 1941. Do you remember? I mean, it was you're probably a little too young to remember anything about World War II. No, not a lot. I know that my that was when my parents split up. Okay, that's right. But I wasn't aware then. And then by the time I was aware, I was in Miami Beach and yeah. just generally confused. Divorce in the 40s. You know, yeah, you know, a... my mother was a Tootsie. She was gorgeous. And she found a wealthy man and uh, lived the life of... Uh, Beauty Queen, and then uh, committed suicide. That's a famous story, right? Mm. Happened to a lot of gals yeah. when they started to lose it. Yeah. You've worked in so many fields for so many years. Do you ever reflect on any of it and compare it to what's going on these days? with Broadway poster design, illustration in general? Do you ever marvel at all at the differences? Are there continuing similarities? Oh, that's, that's a very good question. Wow. I never expected to live this long. This is like, now you want to talk about a miracle? That's a fucking miracle. Anyway, so, uh, but a lot of us old codgers, uh, had that attitude, uh, you know, how did I get this old? Anyway, I, I should have been dead when I was 48. <laughs> anyway, because uh, I did not treat myself well, and I did some insane things. And mm -hmm. as you know, this, that's just part of getting here, mm -hmm. as it were. Right. And um, 
So now, where were we on this? It was about, oh, do I think about it? Uh, If I had been a kind of a a more normal person, I just was not. uh, I was just kind of a a crazy fucker. And and a lot of the people I knew were like that. And then, you know, uh, by the time I was... uh, Leaving New York, I was just uh, like beat through hell with the buzzer gut. Mm-hmm. It's kind of good that I didn't, um, you know, it's kind of good I didn't go back to New York because I think I would be dead. Really? So I just came out here and then hit the, I sort of just straightened myself out and right. uh, I didn't even keep in touch with New York. But let me tell you this I had students who became famous illustrators and uh, much more famous than I am and certainly uh, one of my my first student was uh, Frank Verlizzo who was probably the premier Broadway poster artist and he has a huge coffee table book and uh, uh, such as that and he's kind of the dean of Broadway poster artists so um you know, I I always sort of felt like I was a bit behind. But, uh, you know, you just kind of, sometimes you just fake it and you just do it. And right. Sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't work. You just lie about, about uh, you know, if someone says, I want you to do a Broadway poster and you say, yeah, I can do that, not knowing anything about posters. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's a good life lesson. So, well, you know, I looked into a lot of things, you know, you're right, it is timing. A lot of it is timing. I never understood what that word was until I uh, experienced it. It can be frustrating for, you know, illustrators trying to make a career out of it. Forget consistent career, just some kind of career. Yeah, uh, let me do anything, you me, know. Yeah, you you find that you if your timing is off, you're you're just missing out on one job, or you're you know you were the second choice on another job, and you weren't even considered. Yes. You know, it's it's yeah, it's a struggle there. It is a struggle, and uh, you don't you don't know what's coming next. You don't know if anything's coming next. Yeah, I mean, it is. I I it's not a, a illustration. It's not. A job, uh, a career I would recommend because it's so tough. I, that, that's my take on it, but I guess I shouldn't be saying this to illustration students. Uh, but hey, you got to be prepared. I think people should be hearing stuff like that. I, I, I do. I mean, there's a lot of rah rah kind of advice out there. Like, you can do it and everyone can do it. And everyone's, it's like everyone's going to be successful. It's not. As much as I would love for that to be true, it's just simply not. And it is very difficult. It is incredibly difficult. A lot of really talented folks just never get it. They just don't. That's right. Or they fall into something that's uh, repetitive and they can't get out of it. Right. You know, I also, I, I didn't think I'd ever get anywhere because I let the job tell me, what the technique would be. Mm-hmm. So I never thought I had a technique. I guess I do in a way, but I just, I don't know. I, I always let the job just say, oh, this is the way it should look. 
And then sometimes the client says, whoa, you know, but then sometimes they say, oh, that's interesting. And, And then sometimes they say, oh, wow. So you never know. Yeah, that reminds me of, um, are, were you familiar at all with Leo and Diane Dillon? That sounds familiar, yeah. The, yeah, the artist couple, they worked same time as you. They met in the 50s yes. at Pratt. They worked for 50 years together. And it was, I believe, Leo's quote, I'm paraphrasing, but something to the effect of, you let the job dictate the style. Yes, that uh, that's exactly what I thought. And, um, which is good to hear because a lot of the advice, and I, I know my listeners are like, yep, here he goes with the style thing. But I talk about it almost every episode because it pisses me off so much, you know, to, to tell illustrators or to tell artists that you can and can't work in, in one style or another artists should just feel, feel free to experiment and evolve in whichever way they want and whichever way they feel is right for them stylistically uh and if it works out that they work in one style for 50 60 years like an eric carl or something then great yeah but to close doors that not to not even walk through a door just just close them before we even try walking through them is probably it's not a good idea not a good idea you gotta just put yourself out there and sometimes it flops yeah you know and also you don't you try not to uh to alienate the client. That's one good point. (laughs) I unfortunately did that on a couple of occasions that I regret, but you know, I didn't stop doing it. Alienate them in in what way? Like just not give them what they wanted? Or be somewhat arrogant. Yeah. Or act like they're stupid, which they, sometimes they are stupid, but you, you can't let them know that. Right. You have to make them think they're great and uh, make them think that your idea was really theirs. That's one thing I try to do. Uh, you know, yeah. well, you said, and then I tried to do, and, you know, and then other times you don't have to do so much talking if you hit it on the head. That's right. Where were you teaching? I taught eight years at Pratt. Then I also, I taught a school of visual arts on 23rd Street. Yep. Uh, this is a really abrupt ending to this, but we have been talking for quite some time and I just want to be respectful of your time and just the listener's time. And, uh, oh, I could do forever. I could too, but let's, Hey, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Exactly. So let's remember that someone is going to listen to this conversation. Someone is listening yeah. to this conversation. What would be your last bit of advice for illustrators listening in on this who are looking for just a little bit of guidance, particularly from someone who's been doing it since Woodstock? Okay, now, number one, never stop believing in yourself. You, and, uh, and also, never, ever compare yourself to another artist. It's absolutely stupid, hopeless, and... I did it too much, and uh, it is painful, and it causes you to sabotage your own life. So you've got to just go for it and 
love what you're doing. You've got to love it. You've got to love it. And then sometimes you love it and they don't. And you've got to be ready for that. And then later on, they may love it. You never know. You just never know. I hated Godspell poster for years for stupid reasons. Not realizing that other people love it. So what's the matter with you? Get a grip. Shut up. You know, it's just um, don't compare yourself to anyone. Just make your art and make it sing and be crazy. Don't stay hidden in, in a closet. Go go out there. Of course, nowadays you have to wear a mask. But just go out there and win if you can and maybe come in second. That's not bad. To learn more about David, visit david-edward-bird.com. If you enjoyed our conversation, please share it with your friends, subscribe to the podcast, and provide a positive rating and review. Become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash illustration D-E-P-T. In return, you'll receive our soft enamel pin, a reusable discount code for 10% off, and access to patron-only episodes we're calling Extra Credit. This podcast is produced by the Illustration Department, a global leader in online education for illustrators. Visit us at illustrationdept.com for class offerings, testimonials, the alumni showcase, the podcast show notes, our new forum, the bookshop, and more. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.